This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and so much more with me, Adam Smith. As a former junior college associate head football coach, I knew the last and only chance for you before the Last Chance You docuseries drew Emmy Awards and worldwide viewership. For many, 2016 gave them the first glimpse beyond the billions often associated with big-time college athletics and into the lives of student-athletes with the same athletic gifts as their Big Ten or SEC counterparts, but with the life and academic hurdles that provided almost insurmountable barriers to their dreams of being big-time college and NFL stardom. These young people often aren't seen and are very seldom valued, except for by a few fervent educators who see them as people and students first and athletes second. Featured on Netflix Emmy award-winning series, Last Chance You, Latanya Pinkert is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. She later moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and as always known, she wanted to be in a position to serve others. She developed a passion for education, specifically English, and made the decision while attending Georgia State University to focus on higher education. Continuing her education at Troy University, she earned a master's in post-secondary education with a concentration in English. As a writer, she has always had a love for children's books, when she was younger, her mom would take her to public libraries for story time and she'd check out as many books as she could. She published her first children's book in 2021, Nate and the Magic Lion. She is currently an English professor as well as the owner of Mahaba Yoga. Latanya Pinkard, welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be uncomfortable with us in this space. Welcome, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here and to get uncomfortable. Yes, getting uncomfortable is <laughs> always, you know, I always say you can get comfortable with a rock in your shoe. Doesn't mean it's healthy, right? True. So just to get into it, when did you first decide to be an educator? Talk a little bit about the journey that you had to becoming an educator and some of the educators that paved the way for you to those shoulders that we all stand on? Mm, I would say, first, I wanted to become an educator maybe, maybe around my sophomore year in college. What I began to realize, not only with um, traditional students, but also with a lot of athletes, a lot of people will slip through the cracks. And as I continue my academic journey, and hearing more about uh, certain systems in place, uh, no child left behind, so on and so forth, I said more and more people are being slipped through the cracks. And I thought, if I'm an educator, I can stop that. Specifically, if I'm an English instructor, I can help that. I can help so many people who may have lost focus or didn't care in, in high school or whatever the case may be, or you know, from graduating high school, going into the workforce and probably go to college later, I can help people. What's the word I'm looking for? I can help people evolve. I can help people 
in this in this world of becoming better in their educational career. So my, my purpose was I can stop that. I can stop many people slipping through the cracks. That was one reason why I wanted to get into education and again, specifically in English. I would say many people that have paved, paved my way, I just have to go back, you know, to some of my ancestors um, that has just, you know, first of all, like I said on Last Chance You, there have been so many um, of our ancestors, of my ancestors that were not able to read, were not able to write. So I stand on their shoulders. They, they paved the way for me. And there, there are many nameless people uh, who suffered, who endured, that I'm able to be in this position that I'm in. Uh, Sojourner Truth is one. I really love how she stood up for women's rights. I love Ida B. Wells. You know, even though she wasn't per se in education realm per se, you know, she was a fight, you know, against lynchings. And so I love that fight that these women had in them. And there's so many others that I just admire. Uh, I had a mentor when I first started my teaching career. Uh, her name was Amira. And I just was fascinated by how she, how she spoke to people, her demeanor, her class. And she became my mentor. Um, during my academic career and during my career starting out. So I just, I have quite a few people that I can give honor to. Yeah, I was talking to a young professional the other day and, you know, we're all going through stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Higher ed isn't, I higher ed and PWIs like I work at and so many of us do, um, weren't just not built for us as people mm -hmm. of color, as intersectional minority people, all these pieces, but they were explicitly built to keep us out of them, right? And so mm -hmm. acknowledging that, but then I was saying to this younger professional, I said, you know, not to get on you, but these are really champagne problems. Literally, mm -hmm. my house is four miles from the auction block that was in Lexington, mm -hmm. Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. If you've ever stood, my wife and I were at the Jubilee in Selma one year, and we were standing at the crest of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, just imagining people in their Sunday best, trying mm. to take a walk for freedom, for the equal rights just to be human, to read, to write, to vote, to belong, all these pieces, and everything from every elected of, see, we forget that the people that were pushing against them were all elected officials, right? And there's, mm -hmm. when you stand on that bridge, there's nowhere to go. Right. You can either jump off into the water or mm -hmm. you can go back or forwards. And how many people risk their lives for us to have the opportunity to read and the opportunity to go to school and the opportunity to speak up and speak out when the only risk that we are really taking is maybe professional risk where we're not risking mm -hmm. our lives. We're not Ida B. Wells, right? We're, we're right, not doing right. that. Um, right. Although the pain is relative and I never want to minimize our traumas because they're real, but mm -hmm. the reality is they're very different from the traumas that the people, the ancestors on whom we stand on their shoulders have had and had to experience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And with that being said, what I am, I don't wanna say, what I'm perturbed by right now is the no fail policy or policies that are in place in many school systems. Yeah. And it just goes against everything that I believe in 
as far as the rigor and accountability and responsibility in a classroom. I don't understand it enough to speak to it, but it, it is it's, it's, it's questionable. I yeah. wonder what the future would look like with a no-fail policy in place. Yeah, well, and a lot of having worked in TRIO programs and worked in uh, higher ed access and opportunity programs, we knew for years, people who have done that work knew for years that there was a grade inflation happening in some of our urban and super rural schools, that mm -hmm. you would see students who were the valedictorian who had an ACT or SAT score at or below the national average, and you're the valedictorian, right? But mm -hmm. now what's happened with test optionals, they remove those tests. So there's no way for anybody to look and say, okay, I may be the valedictorian, but I got a lot of work to do, right? I, okay. I, was, I was all conference, but I was on a team or in a conference that wasn't as competitive maybe. And mm -hmm. so you've removed that. And then what's happened is during COVID, the suburban and private schools started creating some of the same kind of grade inflation or what they started calling mastery work that, mm -hmm. that we were seeing with a lot of our Latinx, our indigenous and our black students. And so you have students who roll into university now without a test score, because there's no more test scores, who are wow. saying, oh yeah, I got an A in honors chemistry in high school. Well, you could redo the test as many times as you wanted to, right? Mm -hmm. And so students mm -hmm. just aren't prepared for, because there's no level set and there's no reality to say, okay, you may have gotten an A on this, but your aptitude is really this. And because there's no more testing, it's pretty hard to have a stopwatch to show somebody, okay, you may have been fast compared to those people, but you're not mm -hmm. as gifted as you think you are. And so it's it's right. been harder once, especially in, in the four-year university space to get those students in and have them understand and stuff that we knew for generations that grades grades and classes aren't all the same if that makes sense that's true it does yeah I understand mm -hmm. yeah can you talk a little bit about English because you and I have talked my wife is a professor of reading and there mm -hmm. was, it was so, you know, reading in English or, you know, you remember the days reading is fundamental, right? Um, I still say that. You know what I mean? And, you know, there was such a focus when President Obama came in on STEM, right? But mm -hmm. not understanding that you can't do STEM if you can't read and you don't understand English. Talk about mm -hmm. why English, why reading, why you felt like fundamentally that was almost like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of the basic needs that every student, every person needs to have. Well, it goes to, I like the word when you use understanding. I'm, I will say that just the Sesame Street word for this conversation, understanding. You, if you don't understand how to read a passage and to analyze that passage, break it down to a smallest part to understand the character, to understand, understand the setting to under, understand the reason why that goes into your level of comprehension mm. so if you if you're not understanding you def, definitely can't comprehend if you're not comprehending you're not remembering that's really it's good. A, it's a, it was very important for me with english let me help you understand first of all grammar 
grammar is very important. People will brush it to the side, but in all my classes, I start off the first three to six weeks teaching grammar so that we're all on the same page. And once I go over grammar, we then will move up from there in the uh, academic writing process. But English comprehension, understanding, analyzing perspectives, getting a different viewpoint and understanding how all of this comes together for a bigger picture is very important. And like you mentioned, if I don't understand how to read this, if I don't know how to read a contract, then I can be bamboozled by everybody if I don't know how to read this diagram, I'm lost. If I don't know how to read, then that's that's the basis of learning. That's right. Period. Period. Yeah. As they say, period. Mm, right? Period. I mean, right? Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I tell people, you know, I, I am from the South. I'm a whole Southern, Southern lady. And so I practice AADE. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So if you go, you're going to hear about to Fanna, you know, and I'm not ashamed of those words. It's just, it's part of my dialect. It's part of the region I grew up in. Mm. Well, and I think, I think the really cool thing that I tell young people is I was telling mm -hmm. my daughter this the other day, if there's two ways to build wealth in this country, education mm -hmm. and property ownership mm -hmm. and the system, not individual people, but the system knows that those things are the facts because the system has made it institutionally harder and at times illegal for people yes. who are not of a certain group to do those two things, right? Mm -hmm. They knew, mm -hmm. the system knew that you would, and so that's how you, like Chuck D says, fight the power, is you try to do the two very things that the system has tried to stop you from doing, because that is about building wealth, not about being rich. Being rich and right. building wealth are two separate things. If, mm -hmm. if, if reading and English were not fundamental and foundational to people's feeling purposeful and intentional and empowered of all of the, and building wealth, it wouldn't mm -hmm. have been outlawed and people literally risked their lives to do it. it is, that's, that's it. That's it. It is, um, and you know, the oral tradition carried us so far, but if you don't go and read and do your own research, you could possibly be carrying false information and passing it from one generation to the next generation to the next generation because no one wants to read. No one wants to read. Uh, I'm a multiple book reader. Like I have about five that I'm going in between. That's just my life. I, I recently got a nerdy by nature t-shirt. Uh, again, that's my life. Uh, but I really enjoy reading to understand. Mm. When you were talking about, and you said this on, I think it was maybe the first episode of Last Chance You season three with at Indy, when you're talking about I'm a Southern girl and you're going to say, fit, you're going to hear Finta ain't and I ain't gonna and all that stuff. That's part of who I am. You just said that again today. You know, you have those roots in Chattanooga. You went to Troy in Troy, Alabama, right? All of the, you're in Atlanta. Talk about why Indy, why Independence, Kansas? <laughs> what, I, I mean, you know, what drew you to Indy and what has kept you there? Because it, despite the last chance you, you've been there, you've continued to serve there. So talk a little bit about what drew you to Indy and why Indy has been such a fit for you during the time you've been there. Well, I would say, 
You know, I am not afraid of the world. I will start with that. I am not afraid of the world. And being in Atlanta for as long as I had been, I needed change in my life. I needed to explore what else is out there. And I applied across the nation. And I tell people that, I tell my niece that, um, apply across the nation. You never know how life will spin you. You never know the blessings and the benefits and the growth that will come from being in another area. So when I applied across the nation, um, Independence and a, a school in Georgia um, called me, but I was, I, I would say, what's the word, um, sparked to take the interview in Kansas. Um, it was over an Easter, Easter weekend. Interview was on Friday. Um, they hired me, offered me the job on Monday. And I thought, okay, here I am, here I go. And when I moved there, coming from Atlanta, it was definitely a culture shock. Not only with, you know, just being small town America, um, not having many faces that look like me in the professional space that I was in. So it was a definite cultural shock. But the benefit, the blessing, the growth that I obtained by working at Independence, um, profound. Working with those athletes, meeting different students from across the world, from across the nation, of course. It was just life-changing for me. I've met some great people. And it's so, is maybe brave and faithful and seeing and answering a call. You know, we all, so many of us pray for higher, higher power to, to tell us the direction we need to go. And the mm -hmm. reality is they, higher power, whoever we mm -hmm. people believe, is telling us the question is we need to listen. And we need to be faithful enough to go, right? Whether, and that's what faith looks like. It isn't mm -hmm. just seeing doors that are open. It's being willing to walk through, even though you're scared and you don't know why, right? Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. of my former played football for me when I was a JUCO coach um, and then worked for me for years and um, from Tennessee, from West Tennessee, um, just got an opportunity in South Dakota. And mm -hmm. everybody's like, hey, you're from West Tennessee, from Memphis, and you're going to go to South Dakota? And he was <laughs> like, but it's kind of the same. I'm from this small town. I'm a small town brother, you know. And right. the first thing when he and I talked, I said, he was trying to walk through, should he take it? Should he do it? And I said, well, do you feel called to do it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like they want you? Something about being brown and being wanted, right? I mean, we can do that for about a year and a half, right? We get on, because it isn't about if we're going to have problems on a job, it's about when, right? So maybe mm -hmm. I can ride the, you wanted me for 12 to 18 months. Well, there's mm -hmm. something about, for him, being a Black guy with a mathematics degree and a physics minor from a rural mm -hmm. town, former football player with his experience with a school, regardless of who they are saying, we really want you to come here and to serve and do this work. Uh, mm -hmm. I said, you know, people can't want you and people can't not want you without God sanctioning it. So if you feel wanted, mm -hmm. it ain't the people, 
Somebody right. wants you to go there. So right. I'm so glad that you answered the call to go to Indy. One of the questions that I had, and we kind of talked about this, I think people don't understand that if you're you're on TV, Netflix, right? You have mm -hmm. to say you have to say yes. I'm sure there was other mm -hmm. people that said, no, nah, I'm good. What right. made you say yes to be on, to be featured on the docuseries? And what were some of the things that they left out about you, about your story, about your work with the students and the student athletes, a testimony that they didn't tell? Wow. Um, well, first, I have to say one thing that would lead into um, Netflix. Uh, and again, you said a very important word, word, and this is what I live by also. So again, I have to say the second Sesame Street word for the day is feel. For me and in my journey, my how I feel, my feelings always lead me to the right blessing. And I allow my feelings to guide me. If it doesn't feel right, I don't go. If my feelings bring up a thousand questions, that's uncomfortable. I may not go because the feel, for me, my feelings lead me to my beautiful blessings. All my feelings protect me from whatever situation may be uh, an agitation in my life. So when Netflix came uh, to campus, I said, okay, well, this is going to be a great opportunity for the school. Yay. And I wasn't, and I knew it was a football program. I hadn't watched the show before they um, arrived on campus. So I didn't hear about Last Chance U until they, you know, until the rumors were going around campus that Last Chance U was here, possibly will film. Okay, great. Um, football program. So again, we're not in the classroom. It's not affecting me at all, but I wish everything well. When they came, when they decided to film at Independence, uh, my apartment manager at the time said, hey, uh, I told the director, the producer of Last Chance You about you. Oh, okay. Well, what did you say? Because I, I stuck out like a sore thumb to a degree. You know, I, I <laughs> you know, I, as, as we saw on the show, I stuck out just a little bit. And so she said, I told them about you. Okay. I didn't think about anything else outside of that. The next day, Emmett Gooden approached me. He said, Miss P, um, they're looking for you. I said, well, who's looking for me, Emmett? He said, uh, the people from Last Chance You. Okay, well, they'll find me if they want me. So I'm sitting in my office and they find me. After, uh, long story short, can we film you over the next 16 weeks? And at that point in time, I was shy. I was an introvert. Um, and I'm like, oh boy. Them filming me in my classroom. Oh boy, what would that be like? What would the world think? Oh no, oh no. And yes came out of my mouth. Well, and Ms. P, the thing that Michael, and it was a pleasure to meet him when um, he jumped on when we were Zooming back, when you were back in Chattanooga. And I think he's right. But the one thing I can tell you is that you stood out from somebody who was a JUCO football coach mm -hmm. and was only a coach. So when my head coach came to me, I was the director of Upper Bound. So, and a former player, right? Former played after college. And I was just, you know, when he came to me and said, well, will you coach? And I said, well, mm -hmm. 
first off, I needed to coach because I needed to stop playing. So it helped me because my body didn't want to play no more. Mm -hmm. And, but he asked me, what would it take? And I said, well, we need to develop them as people first, students mm -hmm. second. And if we win, we win. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, okay. And I said, but I really mean it. I know coaches say it, but I mean it. I, I, I do this. This is my ministry, helping people get access to higher education and obtain their goals and all that. I don't really care if they can play football or not. I, I just really don't. Mm -hmm. I'm going to love them the same, whether they're never going to play for us or they're an all-American, right? And right. I said, I, that's different because I know that doesn't pay your bills, but that pays mine, right? And that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what is my foundation. And so one of the biggest blessings in my life are my former players who are great men. They have degrees. Mm -hmm. they're, they have great character. They left our junior college, even if they went to a power five school and said, I had the best time as a Rock Valley College Golden Eagle. We had nothing like we were. You you think Indy is poor and last chance you Rock Valley College. Shoot. I was washing <laughs> uniforms in my basement. Right. That's where oh. we were. And mm -hmm. but my guys look back on it and are like, hey, yeah, the University of New Mexico was great. But that time when at Rock Valley, when we had you know, meat sandwiches and budded big beef between practices was everything coach. And you really just yeah. cared about us. And so I can tell you, your son, 100% right, because I'm watching you on TV and I'm like, that's my person. Then mm -hmm. you pull out Nathan McCall's makes me want to holler and do book <laughs> readings with the brother. And I'm like, wait, I've got to get Miss P. I've got to mm -hmm. connect with her to let her know, first off, you're not alone. We are the exact same human doing the same work for the same ministry with the same yeah. young people. But mm -hmm. you stood out because what they say in what do they say in hip hop game recognizes game. And I was like, yes. oh, I mean, the swag and the coming in with your hair and being authentically <laughs> you. And I was like, mm -hmm. I mean, I rolled into my job today with some Jordans on and every day that's how I flow. And people are like, so mm -hmm. you have this title? Yeah. Students don't see any of that stuff. Though. <laughs> they, they see that right. you love them, you know? And so I can tell you, he was 100% right. You jumped off the screen as somebody who authentically loved on those students. And it wasn't mm -hmm. just about the football players, you could tell you loved on them all the same. Yeah, yes. Because I, I recognize people as human beings. Um, and a lot of people forget that we're all human beings. And once you understand and respect the next person, that you know, your brother, your sister in kind, it just comes back to you double. Yeah. And I just love that the blessings that I receive from treating other people kind yeah, to the best are, of my ability. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you wish people knew about the actual lived realities of some of the student athletes that you dealt with, what they were dealing with, what they're up against, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the systematic, systemic things that they're walking through? What do you wish people knew about them that people may not know in their minds? Okay. Like, I will say first, you know, when athletes put on that helmet or they, they get the basketball or, or put on their Nikes or whatever, 
when they step out on a soccer field, whatever the sport is, in that moment, that person no longer becomes an athlete or really human. Um, they become what they play. Look past that. They're still human beings with possible um, financial issues. Um, don't have enough food to get, I mean, money to get food. They may have, I saw something the other day, treat someone kind because you don't know who doesn't go home to love. And that stood out to me. You don't know who goes, what situation someone may go home to. Um, look, just be kind to people. Be kind to people. Uh, because, you know, we just, we just don't know. And so I had one student. This is what this one student sparked me to become a life coach. So I knew how to, so I could respond to another person um, better than what I did him. He told me, he said, Miss P, he said, my parents gave up on me. They gave me up. My grandmother raised me the best she can. I don't have money. I don't have anything to go back home to. But he wasn't going to come back to independence. And I knew that because he was um, removed from the team. He, was, he didn't make the team. And so when he was just unloading on me, I held in my tears because I, didn't want, I wanted to be strong for him in that moment. But when I left him, I went and cried because I thought I did not know how to respond to this young man. And I said, I would never again be in a space where I can't respond and lift somebody up when you don't know how to encourage yourself. Mm. And that's what made me become a life coach because I didn't, that was a hard moment for me. And, um, and I listened to him. He shared with me. Uh, it was a safe space. And I just appreciated him doing that because it allowed me to grow up. I think one of the things that people often happens, people have this idea, even professional athletes. I had a friend say to me the other day, I stopped watching professional sports because they're just, they're overpaid. And I said, okay, I mean, I tell me more. Well, you know, we're paying, um, I don't know, Jalen Hurts, 200 and whatever million dollars. Okay. But how much is your life worth? I mean, DeMar Hamlin died on the field in Cincinnati, died, and they brought him back, thank God. But he died as a former athlete. I mean, the brain trauma, my arms not being able to, I think I can get this arm this high today, eight knee surgeries, all the things. I said, but you're directing your steam at the wrong person. You know, the person that's risking their life, okay, well, how much is your life worth? How much is the pain worth? How much is all the things worth? But you know, there's somebody who's writing a check to that person who has about five, $500 million in an escrow account to be able to pay these people, not just the people on the team, but all of the infrastructure around the business that is an NFL team, millions and millions of dollars. Put that energy towards those people. I mean, if you're frustrated. And then the same thing has happened in college athletics when transfer rules and NIL and people being able to profit by their own name, image, and likeness, um, all of these pieces, I think people don't understand how much institutional control 
is in place at these places. And that student athletes, my daughter who ran track in college, every year she'd be stressed in the spring because the coach could take part of her scholarship away if they recruited somebody else, right? And a JUCO athlete, people don't know. Well, back in the day when you were a non-qualifier, if you went to Indy as a non-qualifier based on ACT score and best on JPA, you have to graduate from Indy to go D1. Well, there's a reason why you didn't qualify. So that means you're starting in remedial English, remedial math, remedial uh, 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 reading. And so it may take you two and a half years to graduate with an associate's degree before you can go division one. So I think people have this idea that it's some glamorized thing, but the reality is the hardest route to go is the JUCO route that there is, there is nothingness, right? You may get some gear and get thrown in an apartment, but at the end of the day, it is not glamorous at all. And for all of the young people out there that are listening, thinking that, well, if I don't do what I have to do in high school, I can just go JUCO. You don't, you don't want that smoke, as they say. Right, right. And then there's a difference. I saw the wave, like there, there was a wave of depression um, for those that were cut from the team or red shirt, because you're coming into this JUCO being the, the man, the captain, the woman or whatever, where you, where you were. And then you come to JUCO and everybody's wanting the same. Everybody's coming with that same energy or not. So now it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I am not it. <laughs> there are a lot more people who are hungrier than me. And I tell them, it's, you know, what, what, what's going to separate you from everyone else? What is your character? Because if I have to come and wake you up to go to class, if I have to always coax you to do your work, whereas the next player is starving for this, then my attention would go to the one that's hungrier for the, to do the job. That's right. That's right. Well, an understanding that it's a business, right? That it's a business. You, mm -hmm. And that every coach that this is in high school where your science teacher is also the track coach or the baseball coach or sometimes both, right? Mm -hmm. This is what people do for a living and how they feed their families. So the right. idea of politics, no, coaches play people that they think are going to feed their families period. Mm -hmm. That's it. And sometimes feed your family is better. Sometimes feed your family is I just trust them more. Right. 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 Um, and so those character things and reliability things matter kind of like mm -hmm. what you were talking about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if I'm in the trenches, I don't want someone in the trenches sleep on me. We're, you know, I, I need you ready to fight just as hard as I am. We're in the trenches. What are you doing? You're about to take a nap. There's no nap. Um, so yeah, I think it, it just breathes. You know, when you're able to go in the trenches and fight through, you, got, you're, you have no choice but to come out stronger. One of the questions we talked about is, is remaining in contact. You've talked about some of your student athletes from, from Indy. Do you, do you remain in contact with any of them? What is that like, student athletes from Indy, coaches from Indy, those kind of things? Do you remain in contact with some of those? And what are some of the um, young people you've worked with, especially Indy, that you are the most proud of? 
say, you know, we keep in contact, maybe may follow each other through social media, sure. but I believe in the reason, season, and lifetime. We cross each other's path for a certain reason or a season or a lifetime. And I don't push either. It's just what it is. Um, I have a couple of students I would say I'm proud of. Well, I have a few. I have a few, but two stand out the most. One is um, hmm, one of my former students. Um, he was he wanted to play football, wanted to go to, to the NFL. And when he graduated with his degree in engineering, so proud of that young man. So, you know, like I, and I used to tell my students, you never know how life will spin you. Be ready for it. Another student that I'm very proud of, and I saw him a couple of weeks ago, is Key McDonald. Very proud of that young man, because uh, when we were at Independence together, he had this rough exterior based, you know, from his, his past. And I understood that, but he had a fight in him also. And we've kept in touch, you know, um, along the way. And the other day, he, um, and he's in Nashville right now. He said, if you come to Nashville, I got you. You don't have to worry about anything. And I thought, well, first of all, you're my former student. What you mean? I need, you know, it's like, hmm, okay. And so when I saw him mature into this young, the young man he is becoming, and I thought, I am so proud of you because I know where you've come from. And he was on Last Chance You and one of the things, and I think season four, a snippet, um, he was sitting beside me during the, uh, uh, when, I, when we were reading The Alchemist, but a great young man, great young man. So I, like I said, I have a few that's kept in touch with me, but those two stick out the most because I saw their maturity. I mean, I just, yeah, beautiful. Well, and it's, what a blessing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and I, and I think folks that don't do what we do for a living, like this mm -hmm. is their ministry, think it's a, it's a brag, not a blessing. Mm -hmm. Blessing to me means burden, right? That mm -hmm. yoke that a pastor wears as a shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. If there was too much Adam and not enough God, if I didn't get out of the way, Right. These young people could have went off a cliff. Like I, I'm responsible, yeah. right? And so it it has you be be ever mindful of the gift that you've been given. Um, mm -hmm. Today, I was sitting in the student center, and there was a young person with their family. And I always give young people a hard time if you're on my campus wearing another school's sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. are, are you lost? What You know, I, I work for Big Blue Nation. You aren't going to wear that orange stuff. And so I went out and he was out there with his family and they were doing a campus visit. And I and I just looked at him and his mother started laughing. I told him not to wear it. I said, bro, are you lost? And then he was talking about how he's a baseball player and all of this. I said, you know, you want a scholarship? I don't know if I can give a scholarship to somebody who acts like they don't belong here. Like, mm -hmm. they, like you've forgotten, like you're on a job interview. Are you going to show up to a target job interview in a blue suit? You might want to wear a red tie, like, eh, act like the job you want. And the difference is, and one of my staff people said to me, you didn't even tell them who you were. I said, oh, they knew who I was. Mm -hmm. 
because in the end it comes out of you right the title mm -hmm. doesn't matter it's oh no we met this guy at uk who talked to my son loved on him supported him said the kind of things to him that i would say that you know ain't nobody gonna listen to me because i'm his mother right or i'm his dad but it made a difference and so you learn i think like you said social media is a blessing because we get to stand by and witness the growth and development of the young people we've been blessed to be put in their lives exactly. and they often come back to me and say well i'm doing this in school or that or i'm getting this degree all i care about is that you're good people yes what, what yeah. kind of what kind of character do you have that's mm -hmm. the part that i am the most humbled and blessed by the burden to do that mm -hmm. and as you said we take that responsibility so doggone seriously we do i <laughs> because you know yeah, we do. We do. But it feels good at the same time because we're helping so many people. Yeah. And and I'm okay not getting a thank you. I'm okay with that. Because mm. I, I I've impacted your life in some way that's been positive. Like so many people have impacted my life and I haven't had a chance to say thank you. I say thank you. I whisper it. Thank you so much. And I may call the name out. But yeah, we, we, I love what we do. Yeah. One, well, I said to the <laughs> one, a parent said to me when we were running orientation on campus, so what do you do? And I said, well, da, da, da. I said, how about this? Anytime they fail, it's me. Anytime they win, it's them. Yeah. He, she said, just like me as a mom. I said, exactly. <laughs> so we are the ones to blame. We are the ones that get none of the credit. And that's how it's supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. Use use Miss P up. Use Adam right. up. Use me. Get what you want to get. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit? Because I know that you, you went into this space as an author, right? I mm -hmm. wanted to talk a little bit about Nate and his magic lion. Talk a little bit about what made you write the book, what inspired you, that process, and tell us a little bit more about Nate and his magic line. <laughs> yeah, so I am, I would say, you know, I love children's books, and that goes back to when my mother would take us to the library uh, around four or five years old for story time. I just have always loved children's books. I love the creativity, the bold colors, the imagination of what you can be, do, um, when you tap into that imaginative spirit. And being an educator and, and, and touting literacy and reading, I thought, I need to write a book. Let me go to what I enjoy doing, children's books. So that was the motivation behind it. Uh, I would say during COVID was when I really put pen to paper because I'm old school that way. I really put pen to paper and start writing it out that way uh, for Nate and his magic lion. Um, Nate is my youngest son, Nathaniel. So Nate and Michael, the two main characters in the books, are my sons. I started with one discussing fear because Nate he did not like the dark. He does, he does not to this day, as a grown man, he does not watch scary movies. It doesn't, it doesn't fit his spirit, so he doesn't watch it. And so I wrote a book about being afraid of the dark and how to overcome that. 
my grandkids love the book. Let me just Thank shout you. out the book. Y'all get it. Um, they love my granddaughter, Nia, especially to sit and read books at grandma and papa's house. So mm -hmm. um, they love it. They love Thank the you. concept of overcoming the fear. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I jumped in your words. Latanya, you were going to say something else about the book? Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, representation uh, mm -hmm. matters. And so it was important for me that their haircuts were perfect. Mm. Because as you know, I understand, you know, um, going to the barbershop, there's a history there. Having that crisp haircut, that hairline is so important. And so when I was talking with my illustrator, I'm like, they, the, the haircut has to be perfect. So that was very important for me as well in the book. And just having a family dynamic. For all of us who are follically challenged, like me, mm -hmm. I, you know, there was a time that having a crisp line was important, but now yes. it's all just one crisp line. You know, it's all... <laughs> and it looks good. There was a time, there was a time we had some hair, not anymore. It <laughs> is, you know, amazing book. Y'all get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the outlets. Um, I can attest to, more importantly, my grandkids love the book. Wanted to also talk about, because you finished, just finished a, an amazing summer program, you still do significant work in Chattanooga. Can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing in your hometown of Chattanooga, the summer program, all of those parts of your ministry and what makes you, you as well? Absolutely. Real quick, I am working on book number two. Uh, so that hopefully should be out by the end of the year or the beginning of next year, there's a series in place that's happening here. Um, moving forward, talking about the camp, camp Reach with the Mary Walker Foundation. This was the second year that we've hosted Camp Reach. It is, and an, I don't wanna say intense, but it is a paid camp. We had about 45 to 47 teenagers, ninth through 12th grade, where they come in from 10 to four and we offer them basketball skills, uh, painting skills, uh, social media marketing, journalism, photojournalism. Uh, we had different speakers to come in talking about professional development, uh, just becoming better students for the next academic year. We had them doing Lexia reading program. We had them doing tutoring. And again, they're getting paid for all of this. You mentioned earlier, uh, going to work. Would you go to work this way or not? So if they if they're tardy for camp, we'll dock their pay. If they're on their phone, we'll dock their pay. If they're misbehaving, we'll dock their pay. Uh, so on and so forth. Because we treat it as if you're coming to work. Learning those skills of how to behave, what to do, what not to do, and how to treat other people uh, in this professional development uh, program or the camp that we offer. I go to Chattanooga to do that. Like you stated, I love to give back to my hometown. And this is a way that I can help the students in my community become great citizens. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, Latanya, tell us what's next for you. What's We got a new academic year starting this fall. You know, what, what's next? You talked about the new book and the series of books that you're writing. Tell us about what's next, what you're excited about, what we can look for out of Ms. P in the next year or two. I don't even know. I live my life so freely and, and whimsically that I can't tell you, I just go with the flow and live my best life as happy as I can be and just love and just 
be free. I tell people, don't put me in a box or clip my wings and you're going to get the most astonishing person. So with that being said, just have to wait and see. Thank you, Ms. P. Appreciate you, Latanya Pinkert. Have a great rest of the day. Thank Bye-bye. you. So, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, visit his website, hearadamspeak.com, where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.